Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. Today, I'm joined by John Williams, Wealth Advisor at Bowdis Financial, to talk about everything we know so far about the student loan forgiveness plan recently introduced by the White House. John, welcome to the show. How's it going, Mark? Thanks for having me. Not bad. Uh, So loan forgiveness, it was an integral part of um, President Biden's campaign. I think according to the data released by the White House, there's more than 45 million borrowers that have about $1.6 trillion in federal student loan debt. So there's a lot of student loan debt out there. Uh, I know we see it sometimes where it can be crippling for graduates. They, you know, are trying to get ahead. It's their first job. And all of a sudden they have mortgage like payments, um, that they're making for, for student loans. So on August 24th, President Biden announced a three part forgiveness plan that the Department of Education will implement, which it's expected to help a lot or most federal student loan borrowers. So one thing to note before we go into the details of some of this is that these changes, they're being implemented via uh, executive action rather than through normal legislative passage. And what that means is that unlike, um, you know, if it went through regular le- legislation, there's a lot of debates back and forth, stuff taking out, stuff added. The way it's going through with executive action is less likely to be substantial changes before it's actually implemented. So, you know, we'll see what actually transpires from now until when it, when it gets implemented. But at a high level, what's in the bill? A lot of it's going to be based on income, you know, so there's going to be certain levels that they decided to set based off of um, how you filed your taxes in 2020 and 2021. So the number they're looking at is ultimately going to be $10,000 of forgiveness of federal student loan. How you filed your taxes um, as a, uh, a single filer will be less than $125,000 for that household. Um, and then the, uh, the filing for a, uh, the, uh, a joint filing would be $250,000. There will be also an additional $10,000 that will be able to be forgiven if you were involved in the Pell Grant program. This clearly we're talking about like undergraduate, but they also did um, include the eligibility for postgraduate as well. And it also will include what they call Parent Plus Loan Program, which is going to be set like a separate program without getting the details that, that will involve the parents a little bit more. There's also been a lot in the news about the moratorium. They're going to extend that through the end of the year, and the program will ultimately start January 1st, 2023. One of the other provisions that it's not getting as many headlines is that under the new Department of Education rules, monthly payments on undergrad debt, they'll be slashed to 5% of a borrower's discretionary income. And the amount of income shielded from repayment calculations will also increase. So I think this rule change can, you know, it can really affect millions of, of borrowers who are on payment plans. And this wind, might wind up even being a bigger deal than the, the one-time forgiveness. I mean, I've, I've done the math on that, but it seems like it, it very well could be, yeah. you know, over the length of time, especially if you're, let's say you just started school. I mean, it could be, it could be greatly significant for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of it too, is some, and we'll talk about this a little bit later is like, what is the cost? What's the impact of this? But yeah, it, it definitely could be significant. So who's eligible for, I know you mentioned the income. What, uh, what else, uh, you know, goes into who's eligible? 
ultimately it is going to come down to the amount uh, you, you followed on your taxes for 2020 and 2021. It does get a little tricky because it does include the two years. Uh, and I'll give you a couple examples in a second, but you know, ultimately you really just have to qualify in one of those years. You know, that's really, really important because just a few dollars to swing in one direction in one year, like, like in one year, let's say 2020, you might not qualify. And then in 2021, you might. So the example that, that I'd like to give is, is would be based off of a single taxpayer that has about $20,000 of loans. And, um, and he, but he wasn't a, a Pell Grant. So we're just looking at, um, this is a non-Pell Grant situation. And let's say in, in 2020, just to have a little fun, Brian won a $100 million lottery. Um, which obviously boosted up his income in some way, shape, or form. And then 2021, he worked and had an AGI of $124,999. Now, we know that the, the cutoff is $125,000. So if you look at that situation, the idea that he just flew underneath that $125,000, even though he earned $100 million in the lottery the year before, makes him eligible. The bad news for some borrowers is all indications seem to point towards the, the income thresholds being what they call cliff. And the difference there is going to be that when you look at a lot of what the IRS does, you'll hit a point when it comes to a certain benefit, and then you'll have that benefit and it'll slowly decrease until you get to a certain point, and then it'll drop off completely. In this case, it's literally going to be based off of that amount. So at a certain point, you, you earn an extra dollar and you don't qualify at all. I'll compare that with another example, example two, which is uh, Brian's brother, Adam, a lucky twin brother, who's also a single taxpayer with, with $20,000 of uh, outstanding student loans. So s- similar situation. In 2020, Adam also won the $100 million lottery. So now we have 2020 high income. In 2021, Adam worked. He also had wages of $124,999, but um, he also won a $5 scratch-off lottery ticket. And <laughs> the good guy that he is, he reported it, and this brought his income up to $125,004. In this situation, just that $5 swing made him not eligible for, for the relief. In essence, in this situation, that $5 was a $9,995 loss. So it's really, really important for you to understand and under, really understand where you're at in this role because just a few dollars swing in one direction versus the other could really actually end up being quite a difference depending on where your income is going to land. Yeah. And I think because the qualification or the eligibility is based off of 2020 and 2021 income levels with 2020, there's obviously, you know, nothing that can be done. You know, where everyone's asking about are there any planning opportunities, whether someone can qualify or not. And everyone's filed their taxes by now for 2020. However, for 2021, I just read that I think there was 19 million taxpayers that went on extension in 2021. So a lot of people still haven't paid yet. And there are some limited opportunities. One example is if, so let's say you didn't qualify in 2020, you're right on the border of 2021, maybe qualifying. If you're an individual, you own a business, you may still be able to make a deductible contribution to a retirement plan. The common one would be a SEP IRA. So you make a contribution, you get a deduction, which reduces your AGI. It may be enough to get under the threshold and, and therefore you qualify now, whereas you wouldn't qualify before making that SEP contribution. In addition, the other thing that you want to look at 
is whether you're married, you're filing jointly, or whether you're single, or whether you're married filing separately. So sometimes, depending upon what the income of each spouse is, it may make sense if you are married to file separately. Although that could bring across some other complications with uh, maybe other credits or deductions that you won't be eligible for. So again, it makes sense to take a look if you are on that bubble where you didn't qualify 2020, you haven't filed your taxes in 2021, you may be eligible with a couple of different planning opportunities and it makes sense to at least uh, explore them. So I know that there's a, a couple different types of federal loans. Which loans actually qualify under this relief plan? At the highest level, it's, it's all federal loans. It's any under debt at what's called the William D. Ford Federal Direct Loan Program. So as long as the borrower is under under the in- income cap that we talked about, of course, this will include uh, Stafford loans, direct Stafford loans, all direct subsidized and unsubsidized federal student loans. And under the direct program, Parent Plus and uh, grad loans, like I had mentioned before, are also eligible for relief. The one thing that I really feel bad about in this situation are those students who were diligent about lowering their interest rates, consolidating their loans, and went to a private loan from federal loans, they unfortunately will not qualify in this situation. And it's just an unfortunate one, one of those unfortunate things. So if you're not underneath the federal loan program, you're not going to qualify. Yeah, we've, we've seen a lot of that over the years with, with helping people with planning. I think you would think that federal loans, they have the best interest rates out there, but they don't necessarily do. And over the years, we've seen some people refinance from a federal loan to either bank or a specific personal loan, or some have even refinanced and basically paid off their loans and, and used a home equity line of credit to basically carry that debt. Yeah. And like re-re-amortizing the, the amount over a longer yeah. period of time to lower the payment, to make it more manageable. It's a tough one. Yeah, and I wish they were part of the the program, but like you said, unfortunately, they're not. You, you mentioned, I know that Pell Grant recipients could have an extra 10000 forgiven. Can you explain what a Pell Grant is, and then how does someone know if they've received one? I think we come across a lot of people who aren't even really sure what type of loans they have, just because a lot of times they get broken up into all these different tranches, and it's tough to even really understand what you have. Yeah, and especially a grant because a grant happens at the time and then it's not something you'll look at again because it's not relevant after you leave school. And, you know, for some people, it's been a long time since you were at school. So, you know, at the highest level, Pell Grant comes with for, for families who are in that $60,000 or less, you know, according to the government. So, you know, at the time when you apply with your FESTA and you, you demonstrate like an exceptional financial need, and it's roughly, you know, it, I think they pull everyone together, but it's landed right around $6,000 or less. You were, you were awarded this, this Pell Grant. And if you did receive that Pell Grant, like I said, you may be eligible for even more, up to $10,000 more of forgiveness. Now, if you're unsure, you can go to studentaid.gov. On the main page of your account, you can select My Aid. Uh, it'll basically be a filing of everything that you've done. And there's a lot of, lot of information that you might be able to find out that you might not be sure of. And I know we've been getting a lot of questions on people wanting to jump on this or they're asking, what are the next steps? And I think maybe that comes from like some of the pandemic aid, like the PPP loan. People were nervous that, you know, they kept saying, all right, you know, this is a program. This much money has been dedicated to it. And once it's gone, it's gone. Is there something that people need to do right now in terms of applying or getting the forgiveness? The first part of that is no, really. I mean, it's right now it's like a holding pattern. 
But with that said, there are some things you can do to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on, you know, because they're still hammering out the details. So the, the, edu- the education department say they'll, they'll launch um, an application by October in which borrowers can basically put in this information we've talked about, their income data in from 2020, 2021, and request a loan, loan forgiveness. And then they say the deadline for an application will be the end of the year. So it will be a short window. So you, you, you might be benefit to set some, some sort of alert for yourself. The key takeaway there is, is they are still hammering out the details as far as that's concerned, but some key dates to keep an eye on, which will, will be in October when you can re- request the loan and then the end of the year. I will also note that if you are in a situation where you have a student in, in school now or one that just graduated, in some cases, if you filled out a FAFSA for the 2021-2022 school year, you may automatically be enrolled. And, and again, this will be some information. They, they, may ca- they may come out and say, hey, look, if you've already filed the FAFSA, maybe there's another smaller application or some other way. Or maybe they'll say, hey, look, you know, we don't have, we, you don't have to apply if, you, if we have you on file for the FAFSA. And the education departments come out and said they have millions, upwards of 8 million borrowers information already. So that actually might make it a little bit easier for you. But um, I, I recommend if you are concerned about this and want to learn more and, and as they hammer out the details, I'd sign up for um, subscribe to, to alerts and updates at www.ed.gov backslash subscriptions. And there you can kind of sign up for some alerts to make sure you're on top of things. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. All right, so let's talk about everyone's favorite five-letter word, taxes. Will borrowers owe taxes on the forgiven loan amount? This has been in the news a lot, not just because of this, you know, because and ultimately what we're looking at here is just like when you have a debt and you are forgiven, much like if you, if you let's say, you know, you go to a credit card company and, and you basically you negotiate with them to pay a lesser amount. In some cases, you know, that's money that's now taken off of your books in a lot of cases, and up till now, really, that's looked as has been looked at basically income, because they're saying, "Hey, look, you know, your balance sheet has changed, um, and it's in, and what they're looking at is that change in your your debt as being income." Um, the good news is, is is because the American Rescue Plan of 2021 that exempted student loans from these this this forgiveness being taxed, and I should circle back. The American Rescue Plan involved. There are certain programs, without getting into too much detail, there are certain programs where you get forgiveness of your loans. Like, for instance, if you work for the um, public sector and there's, let's say, you work for a university or you work for a charitable organization or you're a doctor and you work for a certain hospital, there are ways that they will actually cap the amount of debt that you are actually paying over a certain period of time. And whatever there's left after that, just for the for the sake of a conversation, that would get forgiven. Before, if that was the case, you would actually owe tax on the difference. Now, it was great to get it, obviously, <laughs> to get it at the time. You were happy to have that, but it, but the, the rescue plan took it even further and, um, and, uh, it will forgive that debt. In this case, it seems like, it seems it's, it's going to be a similar situation where that debt, um, they're going to approach it in a similar way, um, in this program where the, the $10,000 or $20,000 that you get forgiven will not be taxed. Okay, so now what we're going to do, we'll have a little section on some, I guess you can call them rapid fire, questions that people are asking us about the program. And uh, we're also seeing some of these out there that are, you know, pretty prominent in, in people asking. So the first one is, what if someone owes less in student loans than is being forgiven? They want to know they have about $5,000 in student loans left. Can they get 10000 back in, in credit? 
yeah, the, uh, the government will cut you a five thousand dollar check. <laughs> and uh, and um, no, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, and look, there have been cases where there have been very aggressive programs where there have been like credits um, it, as far as against your taxes. But that the chances are that it, the way it looks right now is it's going to be capped. So like if you're if you're five thousand dollars, you're eligible for ten. It stops at five. Yeah. Uh, so what's the cutoff date on the latest alone that's eligible for this? This is the second part of this program that kind of makes me a little, uh, it, it just, I think it just, it is what it is, but any student loans uh, taken after June 30th, 2022 are not included in the relief program. So new students in a lot of cases are not going to be, are not going to qualify. Yeah. And I think this kind of coincides with this question, but we've been asked, should students take out more loans so that they'll be forgiven in the future? And, you know, obviously we don't know what, you know, if this is a one-time thing or this is something that's going to happen in the future, but I think you'd agree it probably doesn't make sense to, to just take out loans for the sake of taking out loans. I feel like a good rule of thumb with any government program is to assume nothing's going to change and, and not necessarily nothing's going to change. Chances are things are going to change, but I don't think it's a good game to get into to try to predict what they might do, I guess is what I'm saying. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that that is really ultimately what you should be looking at here. There's no way to know this, this would happen again. Yeah. And I know you talked about it a little bit earlier. But um, maybe you can just cover it again about, you know, there's been a moratorium on paying student loans since the pandemic started. When is the next time that someone is probably going to have to start making payments again? As it looks, and it looks pretty definitive because it does say in the, uh, the you know, statement from the White House is, is that it's one, this extension is coming one final time. They made it very clear that that is happening because they're going to roll out this program. But they, I think they wanted this, this to coincide with when the program is going to start. So there's just no confusion and it's a lot smoother. So they, they took it up to the end of the year. And then it looks like January 1st is when you could expect whether you qualify or not to start paying again. Yeah. And while we're not aiming to be a political podcast, this is going through executive action. It may go through. It may not go through. It may be modified. Could there be a legal challenge that could come against us? Yeah. And you mentioned this is not a, I want to say traditional way for spending of this magnitude to get implemented um, through executive order. So, you know, there are I would expect there, that there to be some challenges and there's no way to know what's going to come of that. But um, I think that the Republicans are, there is word that they're putting together their, their thoughts here and, and there could possibly be some challenge as whether or not this is constitutional or whatever the challenge they, they pull together will be. So it's just have to wait and see. Yeah. They're trying to estimate what is this going to actually cost? And the estimates, they're all over the place. UPenn came up with an estimate that this program is going to cost about $500 billion dollars. And what that translates to with respect to cost to the taxpayer or even inflation, I think, is to be determined. Part of the reason why college costs have risen so much over the years is that everyone can get a loan for them. So if there's money available for everyone, it behooves the colleges. If, if they're trying to make money, they can raise their prices because loans can be obtained. This kind of just throws gasoline on that fire. The other question I think that's out there is, you know, we mentioned it. Is this a one-time forgiveness? I obviously can't see it happening every year, but does something get put in place where it's every four years? So every, you know, student kind of going through the college cycle gets to take, a, you know, participate in this. So I, th I think a lot of this is is to be determined. It's certainly tricky. Look, it's it's no mystery that this is a, a politically charged and just not even so much politically charged, but socioeconomically charged topic. You see people at each other's throats and 
I get get the idea of the program and what they're trying to do, but it, it is going to be interesting to see how this this all plays out and and how um, you know they pull it all together. Yeah. And um, before we wrap up, one other thing I wanted to to talk a little bit about is whenever there's programs like this, like the PPP and other programs where money's getting dispersed by the government, you can expect to see a lot of scammer activity targeting people, targeting people waiting for student loan relief. So obviously be careful with any emails, text messages claiming to be about your loan. I guess the safest thing to do is just get your information straight from reliable sources like the Department of Education or your student loan servicer's official website. Thanks, John, for, for being on. A lot of great, great information. And I think, you know, I think people are looking for kind of that, you know, what to do next and, and how this is going to, going to impact them. Um, so we'll know more about the details of the plan in the, in the upcoming weeks. If you have any questions of whether this impacts you or is there anything you should do in anticipation of it, you can set up a call with us by going aboutisfinancial.com backslash call. So again, John, thanks for joining us. And thanks again to everyone who uh, tuned into today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning. 